Let us listen now for the wisdom of God that comes to us from the word, from the spirit, which God gives to the people. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. For that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not been revealed. But what we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes and open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. So November is a month, a season, you might say, that we can have food on the brain. It's a harvest season as, as we transition towards winter. Thanksgiving brings people that we love around our tables it's a time when there are rituals around farms and markets and tables that get lived out in various communities. It is also a season where, for some, money can grow tight and food scarce. For the next few weeks, I want to invite you into a sermon series around food and its intersection with our faith, or we might say our faith where it intersects with our food. We'll explore how food can reveal the ways we experience God, the ways we connect with God through tables, through meals, through farms, through food security, through food justice, and of course, because of the gratitude that we can experience because of our experience with food. To get us started moving in this direction, I want to share a story about a church where I was a pastor. It had a practice of holding cookie receptions following funeral services. Members of the church would bring homemade cookies and they would be put out on tables in their fellowship hall for, for people to gather after the service. Now, after one of my earliest funerals at that church, there was a church member who waved me over to, uh, to the table where he was, was hovering over a large platter of cookies Matt, Matt, come over here, he said. You have to try these cookies. I went over and he handed me a cookie and I will say it was worth the journey across Fellowship Hall. 
It was one of those everything but the kitchen sink kinds of cookies, something like an oatmeal, chocolate chip, butterscotch, and five more things that I could not name but somehow blended into this amazingly delicious cookie. And he explained to me that this was his favorite cookie that he'd ever eaten, and the only time he ever sees them are at funeral receptions at this church. Now, a woman named Nancy had overheard our exchange, our conversation, and Nancy was a woman who often coordinated these receptions, and she was wearing an apron and had plates, platters of cookies in both hands, sort of dodging through the crowd of people going table to table to make sure that the hospitality was just right. And she came to inquire about the cookie that was receiving such a claim. Oh, I baked those, Nancy said. They're good, aren't they? So you're the one who makes these favorite cookies, the man said. And Nancy said, well, I am now. That was Mary's recipe. You see, Mary was the one who we had just gathered to remember. It was Mary's funeral, and it was Mary's cookie recipe. It was Mary who had brought a plate of these cookies to hundreds of funerals over many decades, and she had given her recipe to a handful of friends at church when she would not be able to bake them as she grew older and less well. The recipe was passed on from one generation to the next from one saint to the next. We might say that Nancy offering a plate of Mary's cookies was cooking with the saints. Food is like this. We pass recipes on from generation to generation, and on some holidays like Thanksgiving or or Christmas, there are foods at the table that have always been made by a beloved saint but are now made by another. My grandmother used to make this chili sauce. It became known as Mrs. Nichols Pickles because of its zesty vinegar acidic zip that it had tasted so good when you put it over ham or or eggs i still hang on to that recipe card but i don't really make it yet because my parents still do and i always get jars from them just like they share jars with all kinds of neighbors and friends and other relatives now on my mom's side of the family There's a traditional food, a generational food that's been a part of the family because of our family's history as minors. The pasty is a part of our family tradition, our family cookbook. The pasty where legends say that cooked just right with that really crisp, buttery crust that you could drop it down the mine shaft to a worker and it would not break but would still be edible. Not sure that's accurate, but it's a good legend. But you see that pasty is this meat pie, this hand pie of sorts that's, that's filled with meat and onions and carrots or parsnips, delicious foods that it's almost like a stew in a pastry. 
It's often eaten with a gravy and, and at least uh, at my dinner table, with a really big smile. But you see, my grandparents made them, and my parents make them, and now I enjoy the pleasure of a good pasty on a cold winter day, and I imagine that my daughters will too. And just as an aside, has really very little to do with anything, but was a funny exchange. Nevertheless, I was interrupted while I was writing a sermon by my dad, who was texting me, and he recognized the sermon titles from the e-notes, and I told him about the, the pasty story, and he said, well, a pasty could just be like a big communion wafer. I told him that I wish communion wafers tasted that good. A note to the company who makes the communion wafers. Nevertheless, food, like our faith, it crosses generations. Food and faith knit us together. We relate to one another by the gifts of our meals and our prayers and our traditions and our practices. These very things that we share through our relationships with one another. Now around the dinner table in my home, there are a variety of graces that we pray. And they are named for the people who have taught them to us. You see, we, we didn't really do this intentionally, Emma and I, my wife and I. It just was that the prayer became associated with particular people because it was helpful for our daughters to know prayers that we were praying. So our girls say we want to pray Mama's prayer or Dada's prayer or Sophie's prayer or Poppy's prayer. And when I pray one of our traditional graces, be present at thy table, Lord, be here and everywhere adored. Thy creatures blessed that we might feast in paradise with thee. I remember that I am praying a grace that was given to me by my grandfather, that was given to him by his father. Traditional as it might be and as common a prayer as it might be, it has been said around tables of at least five generations of my family, passed down from one generation of saints to the next, living far longer than the lives that taught it. A prayer, after all, can be a seed that grows, a tree that bears fruit in the lives of people who live long after us. For after all, we have eaten from trees that we did not plant, haven't we? In each generation, we, we receive gifts, and we receive the witness of those people who have gone before us, our families, our friends, church members, and in a lot of cases, even many beloved saints that we hardly knew if we knew them at all. And our scripture today calls such people, you and I included, children of God. You see, the biblical idea of children of God does not mean that one is childish or immature. It's quite the opposite, really. 
It means that a person turns to God with their trust, puts their reliance in God, has a willingness to receive guidance and wisdom and direction by God's Spirit. And in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, not the first epistle of John that we read from today, but in that very first chapter of the Gospel of John, the writer says that all who receive Jesus are given the power to become children of God. And it is an identity of receiving a blessing to be lived in the present, in the now. Which is to say that you are a child of God. Beloved, blessed, cherished, cared for. Because you are one who God made and one who God loves. And God's expression of love means that we are called and invited to live our lives being more and more who God has made us to be, who God has called us to be. Now, there's a fancy word that theologians use to tell us about the lives of saints and what it means to live more and more into being a child of God, it is a word, sanctification. I know, we don't throw that one around much, and it can even seem like theological jargon, but there's not many words, there's really no word that can replace it. Sanctification is an act or process of being made holy, of being made sacred. And saints are people who have been made holy by Christ because of the resurrection, because of Easter. It is Christ that makes a person sacred and holy. There's no playbook that we use. There's no exam to take. There's no set of perfect qualifications to gain. No, all children of God are saints. And out of that identity is how we live our faith. It's out of that identity that we receive our faith and live it throughout our lives. For every person of Christian faith is a saint. So All Saints Day is not like an all-star game or like being entered into a hall of fame of sorts. It's more like a Christian Memorial Day or, or the biggest family reunion that you could ever have imagined. It's about you and it's about me and it's about those who have gone before us. Those who we remember, who we will remember this day at the table, but also those who we remember personally in our hearts. 
It's not necessarily about those whose faith was exceptional or whose commitment to the church was the most significant. It, it is about the whole company of saints. It is about all of us who are gathered together to be the body of Christ. One church, one people. You see, we remember the saints when we remember their lives and the ways they lived their faith in Christ. Because the ways that they lived their faith have become ways that we have lived our own, reinterpreted for our lives, our time, based in the scriptures, based in our traditions. And there is somebody else who will know this gift, this grace, this life of faith because of you, because you are a saint because you share what has been given to you. We are made to be those who share the experience of God's love in our lives so that someone else might as well. You see, the saints pass faith on to us They pass on the practices and the prayers, the hopes and the dreams, just like recipes that keep us rooted in really good food, in really good company, that keep us connected to someone beloved to us and to ours. And we are saints passing on the prayers and the hopes and the practices and the gratitude for God that we know in our lives. I saw a picture in the church archives this past week that reminded me of this very concept. It was a picture of Reverend Dr. Alan Zahn, pastor of this church, this congregation. He began during World War II when he was called to be pastor here, and his ministry as the pastor of the church extended to the end of the 1970s. A while back, I was looking through that archives, looking for something that I, in the church's history, and I I didn't find it. I didn't find it this past week, but I found this photo. And it was a photo taken of the communion table in the chancel on Harvest Sunday, November 20th, 1960. Dr. Zahn was standing with a church member, and on the back of the photo, it says the church member's name was Addie Morton. They're standing in front of the table as it is decorated for Harvest Sunday, a really large cornucopia with harvest vegetables and gourds and small pumpkins all across the table. It was decorated with a sense of abundance, There's this feeling of gratitude that I received when I was looking at this photo. It's a gratitude that that I can't help but think is still rooted in this church. Because still so many decades later, we have the same practice. 
That in November we have a harvest Sunday where the same spread is decorated, adorning our communion table right here. It will come soon. I hope you return to see it. It's a tradition that our saints started long before you and I. And it's a tradition that we carry on and I imagine will for generations to come. You see, the gratitude that Harvest Sunday expresses in this church is the kind of gratitude that we have tasted from those saints who have lived their faith in the church long ago. We have tasted it at the communion table. We've tasted it at fellowship when we've gathered around meal tables together. We have tasted it because there are beloved saints that we know this gratitude from, who gave it to us, who instilled it in us. And they know they are children of God now, and we know that we are children of God because of their faithful witness to us, that Christ is Lord, that Christ is love, that Christ is lived in communion and community. And others will know too. Others will know too because you, the children of God, you, part of the communion of saints, will share this faithful witness to others. So may the wisdom of God awaken you to your life as an everyday saint. May Christ deepen your knowledge that you are a child of God. And may the Spirit move you to share your faith with gratitude for all of those beloved who've come before you and for all of those beloved to come after. For this we give thanks to God today and always. Amen.